I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Justin Parnell. He's the head of brand for Oreo, the senior director on the Oreo brand at Mondelez. And today on the show, we talk about a lot of things related to CPG, how to survive in center store and grocery, which is where Oreo primarily is sold. I mean, they've had it. So how do, how do they survive? And not only survive, but thrive. They're growing so with strong single digit growth overall at Mondelez and um, high single digit growth on the Oreo brand itself. And Oreo is a 100-year-old cookie, frankly. So how do you maintain relevance as culture changes, as your consumer base changes over time, and how do you, how do you continue to innovate? So we talk a lot about a lot of different ideas, a lot of campaigns that they've had, how they're achieving those things. And we also touch on some trickier business uh, issues like zero-based budgeting and how Mondelez is, is actually successful using that approach versus others that we've heard about in the news, if you will, like uh, Kraft Heinz, who's you know had huge write-downs with their brands and with the acquisitions that have been made. I hope you enjoy this um, wide-ranging conversation with Justin Parnell. Well, Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we've got a lot to talk about, and uh, I'm, I'd love to start with your background and where you started your career and, and what, what's been your path towards Mondelez. Absolutely. 
So I started my career in advertising um, out of college. I was an account executive at Gray Advertising, where I worked on the M&M Mars account. And um, while I was there, I, I found myself very curious about what was going on in my client's world. And I'd often you know, pick their brains on the day-to-day operations of a brand, what makes a, a product tick or an innovation successful, and, and so on. So all that curiosity uh, sort of led me back to business school. And then after grad, my, getting my graduate degree, um, I joined Kraft Foods in Chicago, where I started as a, a junior brand manager on Kraft Pasta Salads, which I don't even know if it still exists today, but uh, it was a wonderful first brand to start on. And then from there, I sort of worked my way off, uh, my work my way up at Kraft on, on various brands from Jell-O to Miracle Whip to salad dressings. And after leaving Kraft briefly for a stint at Kellogg's uh, in Michigan in their cereal division, I rejoined Kraft just before we actually split from what we know today as Kraft Foods, Kraft Heinz, um, when we created Mondelez, you know, which is a global snacking company. And that was about seven years ago. And uh, it's been an exciting journey at, at Mondelez. I've had the opportunity to lead global innovation for our crackers portfolio, which includes brands like Ritz and Took outside of the US, um, to leading the global Oreo brand. And currently, I'm leading the Oreo brand in the US, which is about $1.5 billion brand. And uh, my team and I are responsible for brand building, innovation in the day-to-day commercial operations of the brand. Well, Justin, going from advertising to CPG, um, were there were there any pivotal twists along the way, whether there's different companies or different brands that you worked on? I, actually, I'd say in my career, my, my biggest pivotal twist was um, actually getting into the advertising business, which is a a tough one for a, a Florida boy <laughs> to break into. And so I'd say my pivotal twist came early on. I was actually, uh, after graduating college, you know, I had really wanted to work in advertising. And, um, you know, I was, uh, like I said, I was in, in Florida, the Tampa Bay area, and it was hard to sort of break into the, the industry. And I actually had a job, job lined up to work for Pepsi, selling beverages directly to grocery and convenience stores. Mm. And about two weeks before my start date, I got a call from Gray Advertising in New York City about a job on, on their team. And it was, like, it was like a dream come true for me. So I picked up and moved from Tampa uh, to Manhattan. And that was, I think, the most pivotal experience right. in, my, in my journey, honestly. It was right from the start. I, just, I found my passion for marketing. Yeah. I loved the industry. I really felt like the luckiest guy in the world to be making $30,000 living in Manhattan at the time. But it was, uh, it was a really exciting time. And like I just said, I, uh, once I got into advertising, it was really learning from my clients uh, about their world mm-hmm. and what they were experiencing on the brand management side that led me to uh, pursue a job in, in, in brand management. And I never had a specific necessarily interest in CPG. It was more like I just wanted to be on the brand side mm-hmm. and kind of be challenged with uh, not just communications, but the you know day-to-day operations and how do we build sustainable long-term brands. That, that's what kind of led me back to, to business school and to pursue a role in brand management. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, that's, that is quite the move to go from Tampa to Manhattan. (laughs) And luckily you were young enough where you you enjoyed the pain of the $30,000 and trying to live in Manhattan. (laughs) Yeah. At the time I didn't, I didn't have anything to compare it to. So it was a, it was a wonderful journey. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, many big consumer packaged goods brands are struggling today. Um, and mm-hmm. in the grocery channel in particular, center store, it's especially hard. You know, you've got competition from private label, got increasing kind of challenge retail environment from what I call hard discounters. Um, those are like mm-hmm. Aldi or Trader Joe's. And Mondelez, you guys seem to be faring very well, um, despite the headwinds. You know, you've got strong organic growth. And Oreo in particular, I think, has got high single digit growth, if I've got that got that right at least yep, globally yep. and um mm-hmm. so my question i guess is more a question of like how, how does a cpg brand not just survive but grow in an environment like that yeah it, it, it's a big challenge but it's it's one we all have to take on and I, I think i'd start by saying it's it's about staying relevant i mean the, the brands that are winning in the CPG, CPG space, I think, continue to evolve based on how consumer lifestyles are shifting, how consumer needs are changing. You see that in how they're evolving their products and their portfolio. You see it in how they're changing and experimenting with new ways to connect with consumers, you know, based on how the media uh, landscape is changing. So I think just like not being afraid of, of change and actually taking it head on in an effort to stay relevant is uh, really what's separating those brands that are succeeding from those that are struggling. I think also um, importantly as a part of that, I think that the brands that are doing really well place a premium on being distinctive. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know consumers are being bombarded by messages in today's world. And I think the brands that are providing entertaining, disruptive content are standing out and really earning the precious attention of consumers. I've actually heard that the CEO at our advertising agency, the Martin Agency, Kristen Cavallos, has said a couple times to me that it's not, a, it's not enough to be right. Right can be ignored. And, and I love that because so many brands are doing a lot of the right things, but in a world where consumer indifference is at an all-time high, we really have to, to, to fight invisibility. You know, we have to fight to get noticed. And, and that's so important. And it, it hits home for me as it should any sort of modern day marketer that we can't just have great strategies and great insights. We have to be able to execute them in a way that drives disruption and can be distinctive. And that's something we're certainly trying to do on Oreo. And then finally, I mean, super important is I think brands have to be evolving based on how consumers are buying products. Mm-hmm. You know, I think particularly in, in the CPG world, we're seeing major shifts in channels. You know, consumers are buying more and more online. They're, uh, you know, turning to click and collect, right? Where they're, mm-hmm. they're buying, you know, they're, they're, they're picking up directly from the store. Um, that's going to continue to evolve and change. And I think the winning brands are going to be those that are really kind of on the forefront of that, that change in how consumers are buying our brands and products. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I want to, there's a couple follow-ups potentially, but before I go there, you've been, you know, you've been leading Oreo brand for a number of years. 
it's a hundred year old cookie <laughs> at the end of the day, right? It's a, it's yeah. a cookie and you guys have unbelievable ability to maintain your cultural relevance as a cookie. Yeah. And how do you do that? How, how does a, how does a, a cookie make, be culturally relevant? I guess. It's, it's a good question. Uh, and it's been an effort from teams over, I think many decades that have, that have done made the right decisions that, that have enabled us to maintain relevancy, which is, is, is hard for a 100 plus year old brand. I, I'd start by saying we've continued to sort of evolve our portfolio and expand it to meet, to meet consumer needs. So while that iconic, you know, black and white sandwich cookie is the classic and it will continue to be our best selling product. And it's really the signature of the brand. If you look at what we offer consumers today, it's a wide array of choices. Uh, for different occasions, uh, life state stages, um, or preferences. So, you know, take, take for instance, you know, we have Oreo minis, which appeals mm -hmm. to families with younger kids who want a convenient on-the-go snack, something that's easy to kind of take with you in the car as you're running off to baseball practice or you know, guitar lessons. Right. On the other end of the spectrum, you know, one of our most successful innovations in the past decade has been Oreo Thins, which appeals to, you know, more to adults who love Oreo, but they're looking for sort of a, a lighter, as we say, more permissible, a bit more sophisticated Oreo, <laughs> if you will. And so you can kind of see how our portfolio has evolved to really offer our fans like the Oreo that they, they love, they desire based on whatever kind of life stage they're at. So we really, we, we talk about, we want to grow with them. And we need to make sure, uh, of course, we're always creating those moments with the classic cookie that they, they yearn for and they love, but also we're kind of have the right product pack format and an experience that they need. Um, so I think that that's, that's super important. I would also say, you know, I was just talking about relevancy and the importance mm -hmm. of, you know, getting noticed and connecting, connecting with consumers in a meaningful way. And, and that has also been a big priority for us. If you look over just the last decade, I think we've been pretty aggressive about establishing a strong social presence. We were one of the kind of the pioneering brands, I'd say, in connecting with consumers via real-time, always-on marketing in, in the social space. If you kind of think back at our Super Bowl Dunk in the Dark post or the Daily Twist, which we did to celebrate our 100th birthday back in 2012, those are examples of, I think, really trying to lead the way as brands were figuring out social. Today, we're continuing to evolve how we connect with consumers. Um, in fact, just last week, we launched our first voice-activated program with Amazon's Alexa. So uh, <laughs> customers can now ask Alexa, ask her directly what's new with Oreo, and they'll, they'll hear the latest news about the brand, including new flavor launches or product innovations, and they can actually order Oreos directly from Amazon through the voice interface. Wow. So it's pretty cool for us. We actually, um, if you want to explore it later, Alan, you can um, ask Amazon about the mystery Oreo flavor that we just launched and she will uh, yeah. give you some clues. So it's just a cool way to engage um, with our fans on an ongoing basis um, to keep them excited about, um, about our products. And then, uh, the last thing I would say on this, because I think there's an important kind of last last component here about how we've maintained cultural relevance is tapping into the passion points of our fans and what's happening in culture. Some mm -hmm. of our biggest successes lately have been 
when we latch on to what our fans uh, care most about. So an example earlier this year is when we launched Game of Thrones Oreo, which mm-hmm. included specially designed Oreo cookies based on the houses vying for the Iron Throne. And of course, you, as you know, that was a really a cultural phenomenon. And yeah. we, we launched the product with a recreation of the famous opening credits of Game of Thrones that we made out of nearly 3,000 Oreo cookies. And it was just a massive hit among the fans of Oreo and, and the fans of Game of Thrones. So I think it's um, that's just one example, but we've done a lot of that over the years of kind of really scouring what's happening in, in culture that our fans are going to be talking about that Oreo can sort of add a playful twist to. And um, that's been... Uh, really a key element of our strategy to, to keep our fans engaged in this uh, 100 year old brand. I love it. I love it. And I'm glad you mentioned the game of Thrones. Um, and I need to go ask Alexa about this mystery flavor, apparently. <laughs> yeah, too. go go try it. I want to hear your guess. <laughs> and all this talk about Oreos, I'm going to have to hit the convenience store on the way, way home today Absolutely. and pick up a little six pack. or something. <laughs> But but, uh, well, you know, one thing that I've always kind of admired Mondelez for in the last number of years, really, is, you know, the focus or the, I don't know if it's a focus, but the, just the ability to, to have inclusion and diversity mm-hmm. at the core of some of your campaigns. You know, Oreo is, is known from the, you know, the rainbow cookie from years ago mm-hmm. to um, Honeymade, maybe a little bit more recently. But how do you think about incorporating diversity and inclusion into your brand story? You know, because it, it, it could go so badly. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the in other brands and that are out in the marketplace. But you guys always seem to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just curious how you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, inclusivity, it, it's a core part of who we are. You know, I think um, we're America's favorite cookie. And, you know, I think with that, you know, we, we have a responsibility to be representative of the audience that we serve. You know, we're a brand that is for everyone, beloved by, by most. <laughs> and I think it's really recognizing that we serve an incredibly diverse population. And we know it will continue to be more and more diverse. I was actually just in a, a, a trends meeting last week, and a, a stat was shared that over half of Generation Z are racial or ethnic minorities. So you just see the shifts in our demographic that are happening. And like I said, it's so important that that brands are representative and that we as a brand are representative of that population moving forward. We actually talk a lot on Oreo about families, as you, as you might um, imagine. And it's, it's so yeah. fascinating to hear consumers talk about when we ask them, like, what is a family today? And, and the whole idea of sort of a typical like nuclear family, it's not even so relevant to people. They can't even relate to it. Like the modern family is, it comes in all different forms. And, and uh, from the predominance of single families to same-sex parents, to you see, you're seeing more and more grandparents playing an, an active role in parenting. So even like as we think about the types of moments that Oreo is consumed in and, and like what is actually defines a family, it, it has evolved so much over the last... I mean, the last decade plus, and it's going to continue to evolve. So it's, it's, I, I think for us, you know, it's a, it's about really 
continuing to recognize that that we have to really understand this audience and uh, be true to this audience and serve them in, in, in the right way. And, you know, I think for us, it's like I, one thing that really um, I, I believe is that that we as marketers have can make an impact on, on the world and setting a tone for greater inclusivity and representation. And an example I think we're sharing with you is earlier this year, you might be familiar, we launched um, our new campaign, Stay Playful. And we did it with hip hop artist Wiz Khalifa and his five-year-old son, Sebastian. And I was actually surprised by all the praise and attention we received for featuring a, you know, a black father and his son in the kind of moment that we were portraying. And I think it, it was most proud when Sean Combs or P Diddy, as he's otherwise known as, tweeted out and he actually saluted Oreo for getting the narrative right and showing the love between black fathers and their sons. And, and he went on to say it's so important and needed in this world. And, and it was interesting because we didn't actually set out to make that point. I mean, we were just telling a genuine story of a father and his son that happens to be representative of a segment of our audience. But it reinforced to me how important it is to not like fall into stereotypes and really be true to the audience that, that we serve. And, and so like my advice to my team and any other marketer is that we have to continue to like embrace this diversity, understand this consumer base, you know, be representative. And I'd say not only in how we market, but also in be representative in the teams that we build in our companies and in our brands and, and the partners we seek out, you know, we need to ensure that we're being representative across the board. And so I think, you know, to me that it's, it, it's certainly a passion point for me. And I think it's something that, you know, we will continue to do on Oreo and I would encourage, you know, peers in the industry to do. And I think we're making really good strides as an industry. And the, the, finally, the other thing I would say is, you know, it's interesting. I think we've evolved quite a bit our thinking around, multicultural marketing, and I'm doing air quotes that you can't see. But, but I think, you know, we used to think about multicultural marketing as a certain part of our media, our marketing plans, right? It's sort of the thing that you do in addition to your general market plan. And I think that is such an outdated idea. I think we, we are marketing to a multicultural world. The general market is multicultural, and we have to shift our mindset accordingly. So everything that we're doing is with the lens of this very diverse and, you know, uh, and, you know, this diverse and varied market that we serve. So. Right. No, I, I, I think probably at the heart of what makes you guys successful is what you just said, which is, you know, reflecting back, if you will, modern day society, um, you know, and not putting it through some sort of filter lens, so to speak, in my Absolutely. words. Um, you know, just reflecting who, who people are. So I applaud you guys for your efforts because it, it comes off great. Even when you, like you described, even when you, you're not really setting out to make a point, um, just by inclusion, you're, you're able to, to benefit yeah. from that. Right. And, um, and other people are as well from seeing themselves reflected in your campaigns. So that's awesome. So, you know, what I know digital marketing obviously is, I almost hate using the word digital marketing these days because it's, mm -hmm. it's just marketing. It's another form. It's another factor. Um, but it gets so much airtime lately. And I know you guys are, are, um, you know, doing a lot in the area. So just curious what, 
what's the latest um, that you're working on? And, um, you know, any, any thoughts about how marketers should be thinking about using those tools? Yeah, I think that the biggest change that we've made in the last 12 months is we recognize that we had to make a big shift in our um, capability or ways of working to do like really great always on digital marketing, for lack of a better word. And so we um, set up a dedicated team um, in in East Hanover, our headquarters of social strategists and content creators to be like scouring the social landscape for trending topics that may be relevant to our brand, to understand you know, how consumers are chatting about us, how influencers are chatting about us, and actively responding to consumers. And it's something, it's not to say that we just weren't doing this. I mean, we had been doing it for, for, for years, but I think it's the, the level of um, the scale to which we're doing it now and the intention that we have to really be more you know, engaged in what's happening minute by minute and have the right resources and team in place to respond has been a big shift for us in the last 12 months. And the results have been outstanding. I mean, we've seen our earned impressions and engagement skyrocket. And I think I'd say from a very strong base, you know, we weren't, we weren't starting off um, in our infancy by any, by any means, but I think being able to be, you know, more responsive to respond to more consumers on a, on a bigger scale has been pretty game changing for us. And it's something we're continuing to learn and refine as we move forward. So I think that that's been sort of a big shift for us. I'd also, um, like I gave the example of voice activation. I think we're continuing to challenge ourselves. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And our partners on how will consumers continue to well, how will they continue to evolve and change in terms of how they connect with with brands? And what are the things that we need to be experimenting with and placing bets on so that we're, we're on kind of the forefront of those changes in, in how consumers will engage in the future? So that, that's an always on. That's kind of a mindset that we adopt, that we're always kind of uh, we're curious and we're always asking questions about how the, the market's going to evolve. I think learning about what are the new platforms or companies out there that are leading the way and how consumers will engage in the future. And like I said, the word experiment, that's really important for us that we're continuing to try 
new things and some will fail, but some, you know, will pay dividends as we move into the future. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, to be 24 seven, like you said earlier, uh, that's not, that's a hard thing for big companies to do um, just because of the, you know, the natural inclinations of approvals and things like that, that happen inside any tips on how you were able to do that? Yes. I think the, probably the biggest unlock has been working with our corporate affairs and legal teams um, to Mm -hmm. define sort of a rules of the road, like what type of topics or uh, responses require a more rigorous approval process versus what we can just, you know, give our social strategists and content creators liberty to react in real time. Because there are going to be those those issues that come up where we need to, you know, be much more uh, comprehensive in our in our thoughts and our approaches to how we respond to ensure that we're reacting in the most appropriate way. But there's most of the most of the opportunities out there in the social world, we can respond really quickly on, and we don't need to kind of have all the the red tape, so to speak. So I I think it's been been putting in place protocols within our organization and with our agency partners that enable speed. And there's really clear ways of working. And I, I think that has probably been one of the biggest enablers to increasing our kind of volume of, of social engagement and interaction out there. Right. Okay, good. Well, you're, you, we've talked about this, but you're a hundred year old cookie brand. Um, you're constantly trying to, I'm sure, reinvigorate the, the new consumers, if you will, the younger groups that are coming mm-hmm. in. Um, like most, most companies are chasing that demographic. And this seems to be, you, you seem to be doing it really well. So I'm curious, like what's working for you to attract those younger, younger demographics? Yeah, I, so we're super proud of the stat. I have to share it that we're the uh, number one food and beverage brand among Generation Z, uh, according to Y Pulse in, wow. in a Google survey that came out. So that's something we're, we're super proud of, and and it's because we're we are a hundred plus year old brand, and you know we have this wide array of appeal from you know boomers all the way to to, to Gen Z. As we think. You know, particularly about what's what's really working with Gen Z. I, I would say it starts from this place of like they, they crave experiences. Like they want they 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 want to try the new thing and share it on social media and um, talk about it. They kind of thrive on variety and news. And so um, we've we've liver, literally given them you know new experiences through our product. So. We churn out limited edition Oreos throughout the year, and they are particularly like. Well, I think they're they're hit across uh, our our audience, but particularly among Gen Zs. And we have a high bar. We want to make sure that every product that we put out is delivering either an on trend flavor or some kind of unexpected surprising experience. Um, some examples include. Uh, one of my favorites is Fireworks Oreo, where we actually put Pop Rocks candy in a in the Oreo cream. So we said, you know, like we've done the whole July Fourth, you know, summer celebration kind of flavors. What can we really do to kind of up the bar and make it more exciting? So, like, of course, put Pop Rocks in the cream. So, you know, we just launched Moon Landing Oreo to celebrate the anniversary of um, the Apollo. Uh, landing on the moon. And for that, we we had a marshmallow moon cream and our first glow-in-the-dark packaging. 
Um, of course, I talked earlier about partnerships where we'll do things like Game of Thrones Oreos that kind of taps into a big um, entertainment property or cultural moment that's happening. So those are the types of things that we continue to do to engage our product. We, all, we say that like we're, we're a playful brand and, and we're playful with the world, encourage the world to be playful with us. And I think an important part of that is actually being playful with our product. And so, so I think, you know, Gen Zers in particular, they just love when we do this. I think also it's being active, like we were just talking about social media, like creating the right process internally and resource structure internally that enables us to be active always in social media. They expect brands to be authentic, to be responsive. They want content that is uh, unique and engaging. So we're working hard to, to continue to do that. And, and I think, you know, we have to be cool <laughs> at the end of the day, like our creative and like what we put out in the market, it has, they have to, they, they've got a, the, they've got a strong filter, you know, for what is like cool and genuine and what's not. And so we, we spend a lot of time thinking about, are we making the right decisions in terms of the products that we're delivering, the types of communications that we're putting out in the market, the types of properties that we're partnering with or celebrities that we're using we really kind of want to make sure that it has the kind of cool cred among this audience that is going to build and in, in sort of our brand equity. Hmm. Well, you've, I mean, there's probably been, I'd say at least 15 or 20 ideas that you've thrown out that you've executed. Mm -hmm. Where are you getting all of these ideas? Oh, it's, they're from all over. I, you know, I, I, we've had ideas come from fans. We've had ideas come from our retail partners, of course, agency partners. And we have great agency partners that bring us a lot of ideas. But I would say it's really we've developed this kind of culture that embraces ideas and creativity. And I think that's super important that, that people, no matter where you are functionally or what level you're at, you, you feel that you can share ideas openly and it's something that we really pride ourselves on. I, I mentioned flavors because I think that's a very, I think, specific, like when we do Oreo flavors or limited editions, right. that is, we have a, a very specific, I think, model in place there because we always have to like, be churning out new flavors. It's really a big part of our commercial and sales plans. So in that case, we've dedicated a fully resourced team whose job is just to gen up exciting new flavors idea ideas. So it's a team of marketers, uh, product developers, researchers, and they're closely monitoring trends in the culinary world from kind of what are the emerging new dessert flavors, um, you know, interesting combinations that are happening. And this team will prototype and screen over 50 ideas per year. And, and after pretty rigorous testing, they'll land in about a dozen that will hit the market in a given year. And some of those will be permanent flavors. Some of them will be kind of limited editions that are in the market for four to six weeks. But in that case, we needed to ensure that we had like a, a very defined kind of model and team in place that could be able to continue to develop new ideas year on year and that were exciting to our retailers and consumers. But I would just say across the board, we're always kind of, and we're, and I, we're always challenging ourselves for interesting idea. And I would say our, our, our issue is not ideas. <laughs> my, my issue is more is like, oh my gosh, there's so many ideas. Like, you know, and how do we prioritize 
the right ones and, and go chase that and not lose focus. I think that's probably more of the conversations that we have on a day to day basis. <laughs> that's a that's a good place to be. That's a good place yeah. to be. Well, you know, you met, you've mentioned uh, a couple of times, and I know, well, that you've mentioned a couple of times that you you, you know you're changing the product itself as well. Um, whether mm-hmm. it's a packaging change or whether it's a new flavor um, or new imprint in the cookie itself. You know, that can be really tough, especially mm-hmm. in a manufacturing setup where you've got lines that have to be changed <laughs> when you want to make a big change. Um, so, But you've been able to capitalize on this stuff really quickly. So like Game of Thrones, I think, I may have this wrong, but I, I want to say it, it was like a three-month window that you had that you could yeah. capitalize on that. So how do you do this so fast? Yeah, I think um, yeah, you're you're right on Game of Thrones. That was probably our our fastest speed to market in all time, and we were able to commercialize it in about three months, which is sort of unheard of. We try not to do that. <laughs> I would say we 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 uh, we try to plan yeah. for the best we can. We try to plan out, and um, but we want to be reactive when a great idea comes to us that we that we really can't say no to. We want to be able to have um, the ability to react in the most impactful way. And so we have sort of set up a process that enables us to be more agile. You know, we kind of have the, the, the fast track lane on the highway that we can put projects on where we actually have defined, okay, if we want to affect the product itself, here are the timelines, like the, 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 the minimum timelines if we want to change the cookie or develop a new cream or developing a package innovation. So we've gotten actually very specific about from like a toolkit standpoint around what, what types of changes we can make based on the timeline that we're looking at. And we've, we've really challenged ourselves to take out barriers in the process of developing new, 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 uh, new items to say like, how can we speed things up, you know, with our suppliers internally and, it, that's been important for us because sometimes it, it, in legacy companies and most people can relate to this, right? Like over time, you just kind of have a way that you've done things for years and years and years. And, you, you know, a lot of times incidentally, because we've had an opportunity come, we've had to challenge all of those norms. And now we're trying to say, okay, we know these opportunities are continu- going to continue to come. So let's go ahead and challenge them now and have you know, fast track processes in place that will enable us to be faster than than our competitors and ultimately deliver things that consumers will love. And so I, I, I really, you know, give a hand to our teams that have continued to kind of push ourselves on how do we evolve kind of our commercialization timelines and processes to get to market even faster. I love it. Well, I want to ask you one more question. Um, it, it came up earlier in my mind and I, I want to circle back to it now because we're talking about the business and changing the business processes and things like that. And zero based budgeting has gotten a lot of play, um, especially with Kraft Heinz. And I, I don't want you to have to comment on that, but I, I believe Mondelez, at least historically, has used zero based uh, budgeting approaches. And I, I'm just curious, like you guys are so successful, right? And, and then you see other examples that maybe are less successful, is is there a way in which you the philosophy that you're taking to approach that that's different in your mind than what you see you know everyone talking about in the market? Uh, yes. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're focused on ROI, 
And, um, and that really is the objective that we talk about, right? Is that we want to year on year be increasing our return on, on marketing investment. And the, how we do that is, uh, is, a, is, a, is sort of a canvas, right? So we don't, we don't necessarily say that it's every year we have to be driving out X amount in non-working costs or this amount in media efficiency. Of course, those are levers. But um, we're right. really pushing ourselves to say, if we develop a more impactful social media response model, if we develop a stronger campaign or better limited edition model, that can be your building block to increase return on investment as a brand. And so it hasn't just been about slashing uh, costs. It's really been about driving impact in certain areas. There might be fat, you know, in our budgets that we can challenge, but overall it's really about creating greater impact. That's going to increase sales, build our brand equity. And that's really the focus. I think with the companies that have, I won't name them, but I think where it, where it hasn't worked right. out so well is when it's a pure efficiency productivity play. And right. that's been a challenge, I would say, for the industry, right? We've all kind of been pushed in that direction. And, and, and it's not to say there wasn't some, and this is just my perspective on it, that there wasn't some value from that because it did make us challenge where maybe we had, you know, sort of lost sight of some some diligence around cost. And it kind of challenged us to, right. to, to sort of tighten our budgets. But it, it helped in many cases to improve our gross margins that help us, you know, spend back in innovation and advertising. But overall, I think, you know, it's, it's really about what are we going to do to drive impact? And, and that's going to um, continue to be the focus for us um, on going. Okay, got it. Well, um, I, I've got a few questions. I love to get to know the person behind all the business stuff that we cover. Um, and so my first question I love asking is, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, I, um, I was a competitive gymnast growing up. And that was uh, a really, I think, formidable experience for me. I think gymnastics, uh, you could argue it is a team sport. It's, it's, I'd say it's more of an individual sport where uh, it requires, um, well, certainly I learned a lot of the value of persistence and hard work. It's, uh, it, 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 I was training, you know, 25 hours a week or more, you know, uh, in the gym, I had a bunch of injuries that I had to work through in my journey. Um, I was competing at a high level and it, it just constantly challenged me to stay, you know, diligent and focused on my goals and objectives. And I think that that has sort of stuck with me in my, in my career life. It's, you know, I, I, I often lean back on the learn on the lessons I learned while I was a gymnast. It really helps for me to stay focused on being better day in and day out and, and help me work through adversity that I, that I face. Yeah, I can imagine it's a lot of grit to to get through the days of long trainings mm-hmm. and, and things like that. For sure, take those lessons. Yeah. Well, what fuels you? What keeps you going these days? I mean, definitely my family fuels me. I have um, uh, a wife, a ten year old son, and an eight year old daughter, and so um, I love spending time with them. Uh, actually, my son and I just this past summer, we joined a, a water skiing competition team in our, uh, in our town, which is kind of unique. I would say I never thought I'd be on a water skiing competition team, but he, he was really passionate about it. And, uh, 
he joined the team and, you know, halfway through the summer, they, they convinced me to kind of get out there as well. And it's been something that we really, you know, have, have found a passion for and enjoy together. Um, and so I love getting out there with him and obviously we're in the fall now, so that's, that's coming to an end, but, um, that's been super fun. I just love watching my daughter, you know, whether it be in, in dance or music or, you know, you know, t- you know taking my son out to the ball field, all that's the stuff that really drives me and keeps me, keeps me going day in and day out. Got it. Well, I, marketers tend to be kind of students of what's going on around them in the world. We've talked about cultural rele- relevancy in, in one question earlier. Um, you know, are there any brands or companies or causes that y- you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of? I think that there's, there's so much um, happening right now in the, in the food world. Right. And I think it's, um, I, I, I can't, I won't, I can't speak to a specific brand, but I would say there's some right. trends happening that I certainly have my, my eye on. And, and I mean, one of those is really how consumers, it's been happening for a while, but they're shifting from sort of the, the old kind of paradigm of weight management to, to health management. So they have this broader mm-hmm. definition of, of well-being, um, and that includes mental, emotional, spiritual well-being. And that's having uh, pretty big implications, I would say, for, for, for the food industry. Um, and I, I, I'm continuing, I'm very curious and continue to kind of have my, uh, my pulse on kind of what, wh- how that's going to evolve. And, and I think um, people, you know, they're looking for new ways to sort of manage their diets, to be more mindful in their lives. And I think that's going to, um, that's going to be a, a pretty big shift that we in the industry have to, um, have to, you know, stay attuned to. Um, I'd also, I mentioned this earlier, I think the way people are buying is continuing to evolve. And I think you're, you know, of course there's the giants like, you know, Amazon that are, are leading the way in that shift, but there's also smaller players popping up that are, um, providing new solutions for consumers. Um, whether it be getting products in a more sustainable way through e-commerce channels, um, that seems that I think could have, you know, promise in the future, That'll certainly um, make a change. I think food tech is a, is a, you know, it's kind of a buzzword, but I think there's a lot of innovation and new companies popping up around, around Mm -hmm. food tech that could be, um, could be very interesting, I think, and um, could, 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 they could be change agents in our industry. So I think there's just a lot, I think, just happening from a trend standpoint where you have smaller companies sort of um, experimenting based on those trends. Got it. Cool. Well, I have one idea for you, and you can take it or leave it, and um, I, I won't take any royalties, I promise. And now you have me on tape saying that, but you should you should partner with uh, another guest that's been on the show um, from My Mochi Ice Cream and come up with an Oreo Mochi um, ah, ice cream flavor. I'm always up yeah. for making a new connection, so uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll have to get me uh I'll get, get you connected. <laughs> I'll get you connected with Russell. Yeah, he's uh, he's great, and uh, I I want to I want an Oreo mochi. So you guys have to figure that out. Um, but last question for you, on a serious note: mm-hmm. um, what, what do you feel the future of marketing is going to look like? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the I mean, I, I, we're going to continue to see at, at the pace we're seeing today, or, or if not faster, kind of the media landscape evolve. I think we're going to see, um, 
channels of sales channels continue to evolve. I think it's going to happen dramatically. Um, and so I, I think that's going to change. We're going to have, I think certainly advances in things like machine learning and we talk a lot about advances in programmatic and what that means, you know, for the TV moving forward. And I think those, so those are all going to be really big shifts for us. I, I, at the end of the day, I think, um, there, it, you just can't replace the importance of big ideas in marketing. And I think, cause we're always going to be faced with, um, new ways to connect and engage with our consumers, but we always have to come back to, um, really brilliant marketing ideas. I mentioned earlier about the importance of being, being disruptive. And I think that comes out, comes, come, always comes back to, do you have an idea that is distinctive that consumers are going to find engaging and, um, that there will be implications on how you deliver that message or engage and interact with consumers. But I think we always have to kind of keep our eye on, um, you know, do we have great insights that lead to great ideas? And um, that kind of gets back to the fundamentals of marketing that I think are, are tried and true. And I think, and I, I mentioned that because I think sometimes we often talk about, oh, the huge changes that are going to happen and we can get right. really enamored by data and machine learning and all these different things. And those are, those are, those can, can be means to which we do um, our jobs really well. Um, but we, ha- we can't lose sight on the importance of having great strategy and big ideas to drive our brand. So I think, as I think about the future of marketing, brands that win will continue to be those brands that place um, an importance on those and do it, it you know, in a world-class way. I feel like I should say amen. <laughs> uh, so th- thank you thank you uh it's been it's been enlightening to have you on and i totally agree with you on um you know not losing sight of the core fundamentals of marketing um as we move forward in the future so thank you so much for coming on the show justin thanks a lot alan i enjoyed it hi it's alan again marketing today was created and produced by me If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. 